Last week, we began a series that is going to be kind of our book study throughout the course of this summer. And we are going to be studying the book of Ephesians. We just started last week. And in this series, I've entitled, In Christ. That everything changes when you put it in Christ. I'm telling you that your purpose changes when your purpose is found in Christ. I'm telling you that your relationships change when your relationships are founded in Christ. Your family will be transformed when your family is found in Christ. And Ephesians is a small book of the Bible in the New Testament. It's only six chapters long. You can read it in, in, in one sitting. Um, and uh, it, it is a letter. Uh, we refer to it as an epistle, which is a fancy little bougie word, I guess, for, for letter. We don't u- really use that anymore. Hey, I sent you an e-epistle, you know, like uh, kind of electronic, you know, oh, I don't know. I'm just trying something out there. It didn't work. But it's, a, it's an ancient letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And so he wrote to the Ephesian people, and he actually wrote this letter from inside of a Roman prison because Paul, he actually helped get the church in Ephesus started. You can read about it in the book of Acts, the latter part of Acts. He gets this work started. This community of believers are coming together in the city of Ephesus. And now he's in, in a Roman prison for the very message he's writing about. And so he's in chains in a Roman prison, and it won't stop him from his purpose to get the message of Jesus to people. So he says, give me some paper and pen. I'm about to write an epistle. I don't know if he said that. but it, So we're looking into this letter that Paul wrote to encourage the Ephesians in their faith to grow up, to continue to mature. And in this letter, in this six short chapters, Paul uses the phrase, or its equivalent, in Christ, 36 times. 36 times he he says that equivalent of being found in Christ, or when you are in Christ. And so so essentially that's that's the name of this series is In Christ. And uh, last week we jumped right into chapter one, verse one, And I almost entitled this series, My Identity, because so much about Ephesians is about discovering who you are, and uh, and who you are in Christ. And so last week we talked about who I am, and how many of you, you put that post-it note somewhere? Everybody got a post-it note last week? I told you to write four things from Ephesians chapter one to remind you of who you are. And these are the four things we said. We said, who am I? We said, I am in Christ. I am loved. I have been chosen and I am adopted. And we looked at this in Ephesians to remember who you are. And I have a post-it note on the inside cover of my Bible. It's been there for almost five years now. At the top of that post-it note, I wrote my name. Because that's that's what that's who I am. I am Devin Galloway. And then below it, I wrote, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. It reminds me of who I belong to. It reminds me of all of my purposes connected to the fact that I'm in Christ. It reminds me on my lowest day that I'm loved, not just by friends and family. I'm loved by the God of the universe, man. That's a big deal. 
and that he chose me even before I was formed in the womb. He knew who I was. He set me apart. He put a calling on my life. And I'm like, okay, even I don't feel it, I know it. And ultimately, I've been adopted, which means I have a rich daddy. Rich. And he is rich in mercy. He's rich in love and from whom all blessings flow. So on my worst day, I just remember my inheritance because I have a rich dad. You live a little different when you remember who you are, don't you? So today we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. We're actually still going to be in chapter one of Ephesians. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because Paul moves right into this idea of of the Holy Spirit being placed in us and, and, and its importance. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, and uh, if, you don't, if you didn't bring a Bible today, you're welcome to look at the screen. We'll have the scriptures on the screen. But if you like the idea of looking in the physical Bible, you can grab one from the seat in front of you. And I'll tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to grab the Bible in the seat in front of you, and I want you to write your name in it so that God's word will be written in your heart. And that Bible today can be yours. Just take it with you, write your name in it. That's a gift from New Life Church to you. We believe that the word of God is, is foundational for our lives. And so if you need a Bible, that Bible's yours. So take it, put your name in it. Um, but if, if you're grabbing an orange Bible from the seat, you can turn to page 798. The rest of us, uh, whatever page you're on, whatever screen on your app you're on, or you're looking at the screens today. But Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to pick up right around where we left off last week in verse 11. This is what it says. It says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were uh, the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now watch this. When you believed. So when was this? The moment you believed. You were marked with the seal the promised Holy Spirit. I actually really like how the New Living Translation says this, and if you've gone through one of our discipleship tracks, T1 or T2 so far, uh, you know that I prefer the NIV, and, uh, and we make some jokes about this, but I do like how the NLT says it. The NLT where, where this says, you were marked in him with the seal. The NLT says, you were identified there is an identifying marker on your life as a follower of Jesus it's a seal like those like the and he's speaking of an ancient seal of how they would maybe seal an important document they would put that little piece of little drop of warm wax and then they would take their signet ring that, that was basically their power of attorney or their signature and they would pr- place that in that warm, wet seal and then when it would form, it would be marked by who it's from. With, that, that, with my, the, my, the ring of my authority, it would have an, some type of engraving, a special marking that, would be, that was specific to my own signature, my own mark, and I would mark that document, and it would know it came from the authority of Devon. 
But, and and when, when you believed, you were marked. You were identified in a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's mark on our lives that we are his. And it's also a mark on our lives that we now operate out of his authority, not our own. We are marked with the seal, this promised Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is the first installment guaranteeing that the rest is yet to come. Guaranteeing our inheritance in Christ. Guaranteeing our eternity with him with the fullness of who God is. We may not understand the fullness of God this side of eternity, but the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that is yet to come. The inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. This is our purpose, to the praise of his glory. He gives us his Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. So a few things uh, that we're going to talk about, about the Holy Spirit today. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Holy Trinity. Now the word Trinity actually is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is a theological term that, that, has, that is used to try to describe the persons of God. Um, we know in Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Hebrew Shema that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so when we read throughout Scripture and we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which all three appear, Old Testament to New Testament, uh, some would even claim that we are polytheistic. In other words, we worship more than one God. But when you, you, you have to understand the Scripture that God is a he uh, really I, a better way to describe it is triunity. Does that make sense? Well, let me put it to you this way: We serve a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, three expressions, three distinct persons, one God. You and I. How many people are you? If you're more than one, then you need lots of. You might need some help, right? <laughs> you. But you and I, we are one person, but we ourselves are triune beings. This is what I mean. We are body, soul, and spirit. But you're one person. We have one God, God Almighty. El Shaddai, right? He is Yahweh. And he is expressed as God our Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now, this third person, the Holy Spirit, uh, doesn't get a lot of talk in, uh, in many Christian circles, but it is, it is an essential part of the believer's life. Now, in Genesis 1.26, it's not on the screen, but in Genesis chapter one, this is where God is creating everything on the first day, on the second day, on and on. 
And in Genesis 1.26, this is what it says. Then God said, who said? Good, you're listening. God said, this is what he says. Let us make man in our own image. There's a plurality to the words of God when he spoke about the creation of man. He said, let us make man in our own image. So Trinity is not in the Bible, but maybe a better way to say it is triunity. In the, in the Hebrew, when, when it speaks of God in, in uh, Genesis 1.1, it speaks of this word uh, it, that is, uh, it was in my brain, and then it just left me, ihad. And Jesus even says, the Father and I are ihad. The word ihad means unity, but it also means diversity, and that there is unity and diversity. In other words, that it's speaking of Father, Son, Holy Spirit as one. And we worship the one true God. I mean, let's look at, although the word Trinity is not in the Bible, let's look and see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in action in the Bible. Let's look at John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John 10, 30, this is what it says. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I and the Father are ihad. We are one. We are one. Now, this speaks greatly to the, what we would call the, the deity of Christ. In other words, that Jesus wasn't just a man He's the son of God, and he equates himself to God. There are many people of different faiths that, that say, yes, Jesus is, like, that's a real dude, <laughs> because you can't actually deny the existence of Jesus. There's more evidence for the life of Jesus than the life of Julius Caesar. Like, there's more physical evidence outside of the scripture for Jesus. So you can't deny Jesus, and many people, well, he's a great prophet, he's a great man, and some would even say that the Bible, especially uh, uh, people of Islamic faith, would say that Jesus never claimed to be God. But yet John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are ihad. We are one. We are unified together. This is actually the reason why they began to stone Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus because he was equating himself as to be God. And they, they accuse him of blasphemy for that. Matthew 3, 16, this is where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God. So here's the Son of God being baptized, which would be the mark in the beginning of his ministry. And now we see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and enlightening on him and a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And right here at this moment, Jesus' baptism, we see the son, 
we see the Spirit and we see the Father. We see all three right here in this verse. And in Matthew 28, 19, we call this the Great Commission because this is what Jesus has called all of us to do. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, this is words of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, And also the second thing I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is promised by Jesus. Ephesians said, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So Jesus promised to us this Holy Spirit in John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father who will give you another You see that? I will ask the Father that he will give you another because Jesus knew he wouldn't be around much longer. But he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit should not be scary. He's a helper. He's a helper. The word, the, I'm sorry, the world could, uh, cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. And how do you know him? For he lives with you and will be with you. John 14, 2, it says, all this I have spoken while with you. Words of Jesus again. And then he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And here again we see that the Holy Spirit is an advocate. Or in other words, the Holy Spirit is our helper, our supporter. The Holy Spirit backs you. The Holy Spirit is your defender. He's your lawyer. He will champion you. He will counsel you. I need the Holy Spirit. And I'm just guessing you need the Holy Spirit too. John 16, 13, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Acts 1, verse four, Jesus tells his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gift. And when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not about working for it. It's not about a formula to receive it. It's a gift. And it's promised by your Father. It says, which you have heard me speak about, which we just read, times where Jesus spoke about it. Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what we can know then is that we were baptized in water to, to signify that our lives have been changed and we're, and we're offering our lives to the Lord, that, that the old is gone, the new has come. It's our moment to tell the world we're going public with our faith. We're coming out as a Christian. 
So that's water baptism. But it says, and then a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then we also know that there is this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit we receive when we believe. Remember, it says, when you believed in Ephesians. But then there's this secondary experience with the Holy Spirit after salvation that includes the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit is essential for the mission of the church. Before the disciples hit the streets, before the church began to be added to daily in the book of Acts, Jesus said, wait for the gift. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will empower you to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you to act a certain way in church. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you so you can run circles, fall on the floor. It doesn't come upon you so you can be loud. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit came upon you to empower you for the work of God to be a witness. And I would tell you that when you have the Holy Spirit like that, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when you need to say them. The Holy Spirit will give you a boldness you didn't have before, i.e., Peter. Peter. We all read about the disciple Peter throughout the Gospels. This dude just gave three, of his, three years of his life, life following Jesus. And yet when Jesus was being beaten, Peter would go on to deny Jesus three times. The third time, Jesus denied, I'm sorry, Peter denied Jesus in the face of a 12-year-old girl. I don't know about you, but a 12-year-old doesn't quite intimidate me. <laughs> but yet Peter says he called down curses denying Jesus. So he is bleepity, bleepity, bleep. I don't know him. <laughs> and then in Acts, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter runs out in the same streets where he denied him and begins to proclaim him. Peter would end up in prison. Peter would end up in trouble. But Peter was emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church needs the Holy Spirit not to fit the mold of what someone would say church should look like with the Holy Spirit. No, to be a witness, man. Like there, there's, like being spirit-filled, it helps me be a dad, it helps me be a father. Uh, it helps me be a husband. Being spirit-filled helps me be a witness. Being spirit-filled helps me remember that it is always rooted in love, not condemnation, not pride, but humility. And being spirit-filled empowers me to live out God's calling on my life. However that manifests, I don't care. I just want it to be the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit should never be scary. 
And if the Holy Spirit seems weird or mystical, it's because we made it that way. But the Holy Spirit is a friend. He's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is powerful to heal and to deliver. And the Holy Spirit, man, I couldn't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Where are we? Yeah. So the infilling of the Spirit is essential for the mission of the church. So here's what I want you to know, that Jesus is God's gift to the world. And the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. Jesus said, I must go so something better than me can come. The promised Holy Spirit. Jesus is the gift to the world for the forgiveness of sin, and the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church to empower us to live this life, to live naturally supernatural. The third, the third thing today is that, I want to, again, that he is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is here to help. He's not here to hinder. He's not here to condemn. He's here to help. He is our advocate, our supporter, our backer, our defender, our lawyer, our champion, our counsel, the Holy Spirit. He is here to help. Countless times in my life, the Holy Spirit has helped me in ways that maybe someone that wouldn't know, the, wouldn't know directly the Lord Holy Spirit would say, what a coincidence that was. But the Holy Spirit has helped me in a number of ways, supernatural ways. I've seen the Holy Spirit uh, move in powerful ways, healing and delivering. I want to share just a couple stories about how the Holy Spirit has helped me. And I think that everybody's gifted in different ways and can hear from the Lord in different ways. But um, here's a couple stories. One, it was about 12 years ago. I was thinking about this this morning. I think it was about 12 years ago. Um, I was uh, at a different church than this one. I've only been here two years. Uh, But at that church, um, I was a staff pastor. And, uh, and, you know, I've, I've always viewed any role I've had as a staff pastor that my job was to support the pastor and support the vision of the church and, to, and to, uh, to live out that calling to support as best as I can. Well, you know, it had kind of, I had reached a point where I was facing a conflict um, at the church I was at. This conflict was uh, just keeping me up at night a bit, as conflicts can do. And that night when I was trying to fall asleep, this conflict was heavy, heavy, heavy in my heart because I only wanted to honor and be submissive and I, and I, I only wanted to serve uh, my pastor in that church as best as I could. But yet I had this conviction in my heart and I didn't quite know what to do with it. And it was causing some tension and conflict. I couldn't sleep. I finally fell asleep that night, and the Lord gave me a dream. The Lord showed me in this vision a word picture. In other words, all, I just saw words. 
And, and all I saw was Luke 9.5. And I woke up that morning and I said, Luke 9.5. I took a shower and all I could just think, Luke 9.5, Luke 9.5, Luke 9.5. I ate breakfast. My family's still in bed and I'm just thinking, Luke 9.5. What is Luke 9.5? And honestly, I was thinking, what did I eat last night that I would dream Luke 9.5? And then I felt this nudge of the Holy Spirit and in my own words, not his. Look it up, dummy. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, Luke 9, 5. And so I thought, okay, this seems so random. I don't even know what it is. And maybe it's just a filler verse. Like they left and went there, you know, just like just a random verse that would have no meaning. And so obviously I went and I, I looked up Luke 9, 5, and this is what it said. And it stopped me in my tracks. It said, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. I was like, well, I literally just came off the Luke 9.5. Luke 9.5. Like that was Luke 9.5. And, uh, which then would obviously send us on a journey to about a year later that the Lord would call us to move on from that place to a different place. And, and we did it with, in, in great peace and, uh, and in great relationship. Um, has ever, parents, has there ever been a time you've worried about your kids? Like maybe, maybe one of your children have been very sick or even in the hospital and it's caused you to lie awake at night just worried and fearful or maybe you know you have a child that went to bed that night with a fever and you're just really worried uh, there was a particular day that, that I, I too was worried about one of my kids and, uh, and it, I couldn't sleep and many times when I can't sleep especially if I'm thinking about my family uh, it's not uncommon for me to just get out of bed quietly not to wake my wife and, and, and make my way back into my boy's room and stand there and, and put my hands out and pray over them while they sleep. And, uh, and maybe one day they'll, they'll tell stories of how, like, yeah, my dad used to watch me while I sleep, you know. And uh, I was like, no, like, I would walk, I'd walk in their rooms and, and, and i pray over them in their sleep. And this particular night I was stirring, worried about my kids. When your kids are sick or when your kids are going through difficulty, parents, we worry. And, uh, and I, I was worried and I was... I felt, finally, I felt a nudge, um, like I usually, when I can't sleep, I think, well, if I can't sleep, I might as well pray. And I felt a nudge, so I get out of bed, and I start making my way to my son's room, the son that I had been thinking about. And as I passed through the kitchen, I saw the time on the microwave. The time was 4.50 a.m., And when I saw the time in the blurriness of my night vision, 4.50 a.m., I felt the Holy Spirit say, Gospels 4.50. I was like, that's weird. I prayed for my son, and I started making my way back to my bed. I felt the Spirit say, Gospels 4.50. Okay, so I lay in bed. Gospels 4.50. 
Gospel's 450. He said, well, I'm just going to look to see if in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if there is a chapter 4, verse 50. So I grab my phone off the nightstand, and I go to Matthew chapter 4. There's no verse 50. Okay. Mark chapter 4. There's no verse 50. Luke chapter 4. There's no verse 50. I'm like, I'm tired. One more. I turn to John chapter 4, verse 50. There's a verse 50. And this is, this is what it said. Jesus said to him, Go. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. And then it said, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And I just felt the peace of God come over me. It's like God was saying, your son's fine. Believe what I'm telling you and move on with your life. And in that version, there's a title in that section, and it said, uh, God heals a noble man's son. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you're doing okay, Dad. You're a noble man. You see, the Holy Spirit is here to help. In times of trouble, and times of calamity, he can drop a word like that. For me to wake up and think, Luke, Nine five. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it said. But when I looked it up, I said, whoa, that's right now. That is a right now word. For God to nudge me out of my bed, I said, look at the time. 4.50, pretty early. Gospels 4.50. I never to say that. The Holy Spirit is here to help. Even this week, someone pulled me aside and shared with me that in their prayer time, the Lord gave them a vision. They said the vision was of you. They began to describe their vision. Not even them could have known the encouragement that I needed. The Holy Spirit is here to help. couple ways the Holy Spirit helps. First, the Holy Spirit, and I'm, the worship team, y'all can come up and help me. We'll wrap this up and give people a chance to respond. The Holy Spirit helps to convict. And this is what many people will experience even in our services. They'll feel this gripping and they're like right here. It's the Holy Spirit convicting. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts. He shows us where we need forgiveness, 
where we need to be repentant. So it's actually relieving for me, and it should be relieving for you, that our job's not to convict people and condemn people. The Holy Spirit will convict. So that means I just get to share the good news of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will convict. And that's how he helps. The Holy Spirit helps by bringing people to salvation. Titus chapter 3 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the Holy Spirit helps in sanctification. First Corinthians says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And in case you need the reminder, and that is what some of you were. It's what you were. Last week we talked about who you are. It says, but, that was who you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit helps in sanctification. So leave this last thought and then we're gonna give you a chance to respond. Listen, I know this and you know this. It is not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible. It is not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. New Life Church needs the Holy Spirit. We don't need man's traditions. We just need the Holy Spirit. We don't need what we believe to be signs of the Holy Spirit. We just need the transformation the Holy Spirit brings. And that's what we want, and that's what we need. And maybe someone here today you're like, man, Pastor Devin, I, there was a day when I felt the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. I felt his help. I felt that advocate. And I've maybe just kind of like lost that connection and relationship with God in that way. Well, then let today be a reminder that you need the Holy Spirit. He's a helper. And that the Holy Spirit has marked you identified you, has empowered you, and it's the promise of Jesus for you. It's for the church today. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.